All right, we'll dismiss our children at this time. Appreciate that uh, number from Pat this morning. This is going to be Pat's last Sunday for a while. She's uh, leaving us. I don't know what we did to make her mad, but she's leaving. No, she's uh, heading to uh, Arizona, right? Okay. Another one that just can't take it up here, so... um, Continue to pray for Pat as she ministers down there uh, in Arizona. She has a ministry uh, on the Indian Reservation, and uh, she's been there before, and she'll be going there again here soon. And uh, so uh, remember her in prayer. And uh, all of those folks down there in the South, remember them in prayer. They're suffering for the Lord down there. You know, Texas, I don't know if... Uh, Alamo got snow or not, but uh, wouldn't that be something if they did? Wouldn't that be something? Uh, But I know it probably didn't get that far south. There was some areas in Texas that got some snow, but uh, uh, it doesn't last long there like it does up here. But All right, take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 8. Again, I appreciate the song that uh, Pat sang because it uh, fits right with our message this morning. And uh, Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to look at the Lord of Storms. The Lord of Storms. Have you ever noticed how the stories of God's great acts of mercy in the Bible often involved his people being in a boat, and that boat was caught in the storm at sea? Uh, I think there's a good reason for that, of course. Uh, God has a reason for everything. There's nothing more out of human control than a storm at sea. Well, there's just not much you can do. If the wind decides to blow, uh, you can have a, a great expensive boat, but uh, God can take that boat and just uh, uh, do all kinds of things with it. You're very helpless. And there's nothing more hopeless or helpless than a boat Uh, being tossed by the waves of a storm. And it's a a vivid picture of being completely subject to grave circumstances that are utterly outside of our control. And so it's a perfect illustration of being suddenly caught at the mercy of a trying or difficult or even dangerous circumstance of life. Circumstances in which we may feel helpless, and we not, maybe not able to do anything but just cry out to God. So, for example, we read that God brought a sudden windstorm down on a boat in which Jonah was traveling. And the tough and experienced sailors who were with him in that storm became so terrified, they cried out to their gods. Eventually, at the word of Jonah, they threw him overboard, of course, and when the storm suddenly ended, they feared the Lord exceedingly and often or offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. They were brought to the end of themselves and eventually to their knees before God, being caught in a storm at sea. Or we might read about the Roman soldiers and the sailors who were transporting Paul to Rome. They were also caught in a storm at sea. 
Uh, They wouldn't listen to Paul's warnings about not venturing out, but by the time the storm had had its way with them, even the Roman centurion was taking orders from the apostle Paul. Paul prayed, and the lives of all 276 persons on board were spared. God had everyone's attention through the storm at sea. And this morning we come to the one of the most famous of all the storm stories in the Bible. Uh, all the usual elements are there. It's sudden and unexpected. The boat helplessly being tossed. The passengers uh, were terrified. They feared for their lives. But this time, Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, was present in the boat, and his presence made all the difference in the world. And this story teaches us that he is the Lord of the storm. And he shows us how we can trust him to see us through the storms of life that we may encounter. So look at Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. And when he had entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? One might wonder that what we can learn from such a short but very familiar story. We've heard this story. We've read it many times. What can we learn this morning from this passage? And I'd like to break it down into seven very specific lessons that it teaches us in trusting our sovereign Lord about trusting our sovereign Lord during the storms of life. The first lesson, perhaps a surprising one, but it's one that we need to keep in mind. Unexpected storms will come. Uh, You say, that's no surprise. I have unexpected storms in my life all the time. We don't count on these storms coming. We don't say, okay, today I'm going to go through a storm. No, they just kind of come up. Unexpected storms will come. We see this in verse 23 and 24. I want you to notice the word there uh, in verse 23, followed. The word follow connects this passage with the one that had just preceded it. In that previous passage, two men had sought to follow Jesus, but they were made to stop first and count the cost of following. You look back at verse 19 and 20, uh, you notice there, and a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And then in verse 21 and 22, you have another man, another disciple, that said unto him, Lord, suffice me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury the dead. Both of these men were uh, uh, had to confront the difficult challenges that come with following Jesus. You see, to be a disciple of Jesus means to be a follower of him. It means to go where he says to go. It uh, means to go uh, and do what he says to do and believe 
as he says to believe. Not everyone, after they count the cost, is willing to accept the challenge of following Jesus. But the men who entered the boat this day apparently did. It says here, and the, he was entered and his disciples followed him. His disciples followed him. And that's what identifies them as disciples. You see, disciples follow Jesus wherever he goes. But then look what happened to these men who followed Jesus. You'd think, well, these men followed Jesus. Why would there be an, a, a storm come in their life? They were being obedient. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. But in verse 24, a great tempest in the sea arose. The storm strikes. It's a remarkable storm. The Greek word that Matthew uses here to describe it is seismos. It's one of, that means a shaking uh, or a quaking. It's the word that ordinarily used to describe an earthquake. Hence the word seismograph. It's where we get our word seismograph that measures earthquakes. Again, that's why I tell you the Greek word because it means something there, okay? It just doesn't mean it's Greek to you, but it means something, okay? It means there's a, 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 a shaking or a quaking. Uh, Luke tells us this was a product of a great wind uh, that suddenly came down upon the lake. Uh, these experienced fishermen were, uh, would ordinarily have been able to tell in advance that the windstorm was coming, but this one was unexpected. They couldn't predict this one. Think about what they're told or what we're told. Uh, it came suddenly. It was described as great. And it was so threatening that we're told that in so much that the ship was covered with the waves. When the Gospel writer Mark tells us about the same story, he says, and there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And the men in the boat were certain that they were about to die because they cried out to Jesus that they were perishing. And here's perhaps the most remarkable thing about this storm. It came when they were in the course of simply following Jesus. They were doing the right thing. Uh, they were obeying the Son of God. And yet this violent, life-threatening storm fell upon them anyway. It's a great spiritual lesson here for us. We shouldn't think, ever think that just because we're following Jesus, we have a right to expect to be exempt from the storms of life. These storms may come. And even though we're following Jesus very faithfully, Jesus could have prevented the storm from coming at all if he had seen fit to do so. But his disciples were following him. They were obeying him. And he led them right into that storm. Now why would Jesus do this? Well, we need to keep in mind that Jesus has greater things in mind for his followers than they have for themselves. We have it in our mind. We ought to have a comfortable ride with him. Things ought to just go smooth that we are following the Lord Jesus, but he knows that as his followers in training, we need to get caught in some storms now and then, and also that we might learn some new truth about him in an experiential way. 
He knows just the right time for us to enter into a storm. And He knows just what we need to learn from the storm in order to trust Him even more. As the Apostle James has taught us, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So here's the first principle. Learn to expect, as you follow Jesus, that storms will come. They come for a good purpose, so that we may learn something new about our great Savior's love and His power towards us. Now there's another lesson here. The second lesson is the Lord is present during the storm. The Lord is present. Again in verse 24, Matthew makes Jesus kind of stand out in stark contrast to all the panic that's going on around him. Matthew writes, but he was asleep. What a picture that paints. I believe our Lord God has a great sense of humor, don't you? How can Jesus sleep at a time like that? Well, for one very obvious reason, it was because he was tired. But for another, much more profound, it was because he wasn't in a panic over the circumstances. He didn't panic like we do. When things get really tough, sometimes we want to hit that panic button real quick. You see, he was a perf- at perfect peace in the midst of the storm because he knew that the storm was under his control at all times. He was in his Father's will and he knew that no matter what else happened around him, his Father's will would still be fulfilled in him. He had no reason to be afraid. And it vividly illustrated by the fact that he was asleep in the midst of the storm. And as long as he was in the boat, the disciples had no reason to be afraid either. Now, when you and I go through a a storm, it may seem as if the Lord isn't aware of it. We say, where is the Lord? It may seem to us that he's asleep. We can be sure that he isn't. He never sleeps on us. And if it appears that he does, it's only meant to test our faith in him. As Psalm 21 says, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And when you're in the midst of the storm, just remember, Jesus is there too. In the midst of the storm with you. His apparent silence is to see if you still trust him if you still have confidence in him. In fact, did you know that he offers us his own peace in the midst of the storms of life? He certainly does. He tells us in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16, verse 33. You know, we can be confident that Jesus, who experienced perfect peace in the midst of the storm, is always with us in the storms of life that we encounter. And he offers us his own perfect peace in our storm. 
if we'll just accept it. And so the storms will come, and they'll come unexpectedly, but Jesus is with us in them. That leads us to a third lesson. That is crying out to the Lord. Crying out to the Lord. In verse 25, the disciples certainly did the best thing they could do. In fact, they did the only thing they could do. They cried out to Jesus and woke him from his sleep. And Matthew tells us in verse 25, And the disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. In actuality, that's a very crucial prayer. And it really is only three words in the original language or in Greek. uh, Lord, save, we perish. That gets right to the point. And what a fantastic prayer it is. If we analyze it very carefully, the word Lord, we see that they knew who to go to. And also in what manner of reverence they should approach him. In that first word, they recognize and admit his authority and his power. To call him Lord, in this case, was to confess his deity. Then in the second word, save. Lord, save. We see that they knew what they needed. They needed him to rescue them. They laid out their need before him. And then the third word, translated we perish, two words in our language, but we perish, they rightly stated their situation and rightly understood how helpless they were unless they did what they asked. If he didn't help them, they were lost. And it may, if I may say so, that's a great sinner's prayer as well, if there ever was one. Lord, save me, I perish. You can't be saved unless you admit you have a need and you cry out to him and plead to him to save you. It also happens to be a perfect prayer to pray for a follower of Christ in the midst of a storm. And that's what we have here. When we're in the midst of the storms of life, the perfect thing to do is to cry out to the Lord. We must, as it were, awaken him with our prayers. And it certainly doesn't have to be a flowery, detailed prayer. It can be just as simple as saying, Lord, save, I perish. Jesus isn't interested in our creative speaking skills. What he wants is our hearts. And when he has our hearts expressed in our crying out to him in prayer, in a time of trouble, he responds. And as it says in Psalm 50, in verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And this leads us to a fourth principle and we find in this passage. His rebuke for lack of faith. His rebuke for lack of faith. Verse 26 says, And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Matthew tells us that Jesus awoke to their response, in response to their cry. But he tells him, before he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the disciples. He says, Why are ye so fearful, O ye of little faith? And look what Jesus says about their condition. He says they are fearful. Now, that word there is not the normal word we think of fear, of phobos, you know, phobia. This is uh, a different word, which means timid or cowardly. 
It suggests a kind of fearfulness that is unbecoming and uh, inappropriate, perhaps even sinful. The only other occasion this word is used in the New Testament apart from this story is in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 where it says, uh, but the fearful and the unbelieving shall have their part in the lake of which it burneth with fire. And look at what Jesus says about the cause of their sinful condition. He calls them, O ye of little faith. Their real problem was being shown up by the storm and that the real problem was their lack of faith in him. All that they had seen of him hadn't really sunk in at heart level to them. They didn't really understand who he was and how because of who he was and because of the fact that he was with them that there was absolutely no reason to be afraid. The man who was asleep in the boat with them was none other than the Son of God. And that no matter what else might have happened because of the storm, that boat was definitely not going down. Storms that we go through are very real at times, and they're sometimes very terrible. But you know what? Each storm is allowed by our Lord to encourage us to a place our trust in something about himself that we've already been taught. He's already shown us what he can do, and the storms kind of force us back to that thing we learned about him and trust in him in a new way in a current circumstance. The disciples had already seen what Jesus could do. And they were about to see more. And so in faith, they should have been bold and confident toward him. They definitely should have turned to him as they did, but very calmly, calmly and very confidently, they should have awakened him and said, Lord, we perish. Please save us. You know, Lord, you know, we're really looking forward to seeing how you're going to do this. And we're going to give you the glory in advance. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Is that the way we respond to the storms of life? I wonder if in the storms of life, the Lord doesn't often wish to rebuke us for our terrible lack of faith. And I wonder if he doesn't often have to ask us, don't you think I know about the storm? When we're hitting the panic button, say, Lord, help me. Why in the world would we be so cowardly, he wants to know. We should learn to trust him and trust the promises of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, in prayer, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Cry out to the Lord, yes. But cry out in confidence, with faith. A fifth lesson we learn from this passage about being with Jesus in the storm is uh, the reason why we can be so confident, and that's a great storm is changed into a great calm. A great storm is changed into a great calm. Verse 26 says again, Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now he says, 
He rebuked the winds and the sea. Now just imagine that. He actually scolded the weather. <laughs> you've, tried, you've tried to do that once in a while too, haven't you? He scolded the weather and the water. Ordinarily, we, that would seem a little crazy to personalize the wind and the waves and talk to them. But the results speak for themselves because we're told, and there was a great calm. In fact, Luke tells us that the wind and the raging of the water ceased. There wasn't even a mere lessening of the, the wind. It didn't just gradually decline. No, it stopped altogether. And it went from a great tempest to a great calm. And it did it in a moment's time at the word of Jesus. This reminds us of something that Jesus said at the end of this gospel. He says in Matthew chapter 28, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Over in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, we're told that who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he proved this when he was in the storm with his disciples. He is able to do the same for us in the midst of the storms we experience in this life. The storm is always under his control and he is able, if he so commands, to turn it from a great tempest to a great calm. The disciples' own interpretation should be enough for, the, uh, for us. Even the winds and the sea obey him, they said. Even the wind, even the sea. This leads us to a sixth lesson, and that is the sovereignty of the Lord. Verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, What manner of man this is this, that even the, the winds and the sea obey him? I often imagine what it must have been like in the boat after the great calm fell upon them. I can picture Jesus maybe on one side of the boat and maybe the boat rightly tipped and Jesus sitting on the side that's a little bit higher perhaps because all the disciples, they're all sitting on the other side of the boat staring at him uh, with their mouths hanging open. Can you believe what just happened to us? What manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? An affirmation behind their excl exclamation is that he is just no mere man. He is the sovereign God who is able to command even the wind and the sea, and they obey him. And I think the implication for us is that he is able to command far lesser things than wind and the sea, and they too will obey him. If he can command the wind and the waves, he can command everything else that may come into our lives. His call is to us, in the midst of the storm, and that is to trust in Him to have absolute control over all that comes our way. But pastor, you don't know how much I'm going through. You don't know how bad this storm is. Trust Him with everything. And sometimes we just think, no, we can't get through this. There's no way I'm going to make it. I'm not going to see it. I'm perishing. 
Trust Him. Lean on Him. He is our strong and all-sufficient help. And what we've learned from this passage, I believe, so far reminds us of what it says in Psalm 107. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 23, it says, They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up in the heaven, they they go down again into the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. They cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. They are, then they are they glad because they, are, they be quiet. So he bringeth them into their desired haven. And the psalmist writes all this, and he then calls on the only proper response, and that is worship. He writes, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. That brings us to the one final lesson. And I'd like to point it out that it's implied by the disciples' reaction. And by just what I said, it calls for a proper response. Worship. Worship should be the result. Worship. We're told by Matthew the disciples marveled. They marveled at what had just happened. And when we look at the other Gospels, we find it's even more profound. We find, according to Mark, they feared exceedingly. And it says in Luke, they were afraid. Now, the word that's being used there is not the same word as previously uh, that we said, uh, uh, Jesus said, why are ye fearful? This isn't the same word. That was the word that meant cowardly. This is the word phobos or phobia. This is the word which we understand as being uh, afraid. There's something of a holy fear that fell upon the disciples as they realized who it was that had rode through the storm with them. Outside the boat at the command of Jesus, a great tempest had been replaced by a great calm. And as a result, inside the disciples, the cowardliness now was replaced by a reverential fear. When we trust Jesus to see us through the storms of life, he takes us through the, to the other side and he shows us more of who he really is. And as a result, if we truly learn what it's, he seeks to teach us through the storms of life, we come away more in love with him and more in awe of him and more surrender to him. Worship occurs when we see our great God for who he really is and respond to what we see in an appropriate, heartfelt way. And it is in the storms of life that we get to see who Jesus really is. So when we come through the storms with Jesus, if we're we're trained by by it as we should be, we'll come out the other side worshiping him. 
I wonder this morning, are you being thrown about in the midst of a storm? Circumstances that are frightening perhaps or outside your control? Then learn the lessons from this story. Put these seven lessons to practice. Don't be surprised by the fact that even when you follow Jesus faithfully, you'll still suddenly find yourself in the midst of a storm. It's part of his plan for your growth and development in him. And then be confident that even if it seems like he's asleep, Jesus is really still there in the storm with you. He knows what's going on. He is able to do whatever is needed. And then remember to cry out to him. It's the greatest thing you can do in a storm. Don't be silent. Don't say, well, I'll just bear up. I'll stuff it away. No, cry out to God. Tell him what concerns you. And then be of good courage and of strong faith in the midst of the storm. Don't be timid or cowardly because of the lack of faith in him, because he loves you and he will never abandon you. And don't give him a reason to rebuke your sinful attitude before he rebukes the storm. And then rest assured in the knowledge that he can transform that storm, that great storm, that great tempest into a great calm whenever he sees fit to do so. And then watch and learn from him as he teaches you in the midst of the storm that he is sovereign over every area of your life. That even the wind and the sea must obey the commands of the one who is your greatest friend. And most important of all, the last lesson is when it's over and he proves himself once again to you, Worship Him. Worship Him and thank Him for what He's done for you. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we do thank You for the fact that You are the Lord of the storms. Many times we're not grateful. It's hard to be thankful for the storms of life, but Lord, they certainly do point us to Yourself. And Lord, if we allow ourselves to just confidently cry out to you and, and, and plead with you concerning our need, we know, Lord, that you are in control and you will help us and you will see us through that storm. There may be some here this morning who are struggling with a storm in their life. Lord, help them to cry out to you by faith. Maybe there's someone here this morning that's never trusted you as their personal Savior. Help them to recognize who you are and your ability to save. Lord, save, I perish. And Lord, as we go through the days ahead, the year ahead perhaps, there will be some storms. And Lord, we thank you that we can Put our faith and our trust in you. Rest assured in the knowledge that you will transform that storm from a great tempest to a great calm for your honor and for your glory. Lord, help us to trust you each and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.